seems you lost Onesimus for a little while so that you could have him back forever. He is no longer like a slave to you. He is more than a slave, for he is a beloved brother, especially to me. And now he will mean much more to you, both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it, and I won't mention you owe me your very soul. Yes, my brother, please do me this favor for the Lord's sake. Give me this encouragement in Christ. I'm confident, as I write this letter, that you will do what I ask, and even more, and one thing more. Please prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that God will answer your prayers and let me return to you soon. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you his greetings, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my co-workers. And may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. kind of comes alive when it's read that way, isn't it? That's from the New Living Translation that Mary particularly wanted Carol to read it. Carol, you read that so beautifully. You kind of feel like when you hear it like that, that's kind of the way it was written, really, wasn't it? It was written in that way as a kind of conversation, as a beautiful letter. So really refreshing to hear it that way. Um, Just saying, next week I'm starting our new series. We're going through Ephesians. Um, and I'm going to be preaching on Sunday night on that. So we're going to hear the whole of the book of Ephesians. That No, we're not that evening. We're just doing it one chapter at a time. So if you can read Ephesians 1 before next week, that would be great. Mary, why don't I get you up? Um, ripple of applause. Woo-hoo! Yes. Do you want this to stand on this? Yeah. So I'm going to pray for Mary. Father, thank you for Mary. Lord, thank you for her passion for theology and your word. And um, Lord, I just pray that you kind of bless her as she shares and gives ears to hear what it is you want us to say as we've been thinking about spiritual disciplines and what that might mean for our life and the joy that that brings. Lord, I pray for her that you bless her now in Jesus' name. Amen. Talk about yourself. I do often think that I should just carry a box with me wherever I go. Um, This sermon is brought to you courtesy of Lemsip Max. If I peg out, Andrew has promised to read it in my stead. He's going to have difficulty because I've been scrawling all over it this morning. So so let's pray that that doesn't happen. Um, Can I just add to Tim's notices? The reason that Tim is leading worship next Sunday is not because women aren't allowed to lead worship. It is because, unfortunately, our two extraordinarily gifted female worship leaders 
left us this summer. Not because we fell out with them. One went to get married, which I suppose we had to allow, and the other has gone off to Edinburgh to do an MA. So um, we've lost them. So any female worship leaders <laughs> and that are interested, please talk to Tim or me or Sam. We'd love to see you. And of course, the reason we're not having a student lunch next Sunday is because the men are all away, which means there's no one to cook Sunday dinner. Just wanted to get one or two things straight. Okay, so today is the last Sunday, but not the last session in our series going through this book, um, Celebration of Discipline by Richard Foster. The last session is on Wednesday, as you heard earlier, with Libby talking about celebration. Um, and if you know Libby, you'll know that'll be a good session. And today we're looking at submission and service. And we're covering them together because they're really closely linked. Um, Richard Foster says that service is essentially the practical outworking of submission. And you may be thinking, well, it's really obvious why Mary is speaking on this topic because she's very submissive and she does a lot of stuff. It's actually much more likely that you're thinking, why is Mary talking on this topic? She's really bolshy and she always bosses people around. So the truth is that I volunteered. I thought I've had people in authority over me in the past, not always helpfully, so I know about submission. And one of my love languages is acts of service, so I can talk about that too. And I thought I know all the jobs that we desperately need doing in the church. So if I'm really cunning, I can weave them into the sermon and get you all to volunteer for things as a response. So you can probably imagine where I'm going with this. So I've been reading and rereading this book, particularly the chapters on submission and service, and it has not been helpful to my sermon planning. <laughs> or my self-esteem. Apparently, the point of the disciplines is to enable us to live in freedom and grace. Each discipline has a freedom or grace that is transformational to the way we live, both as individuals and corporately. It's not about the discipline. It's about the freedom. One is a means to the other. And the freedom associated with submission, according to Foster, is the ability to lay down the terrible burden of always needing to get our own way. Apparently, submitting to someone whilst inwardly seething and being convinced that you are completely right is not submission. Also, apparently, abusing the honor of preaching in order to guilt trip people into volunteering is not Christ-like submission. It gets worse. The discipline of service apparently leads to the grace of humility, especially if the acts of service are hidden. Apparently, Self-righteous service, which makes other people like you, or admire you, or promote you, or even maybe manipulate them into doing what you want them to do, 
that isn't Christ-like service either. So I've come to the conclusion that I'm pretty lousy at this stuff. But unfortunately, it was too late by the time I realized that to get somebody else to preach. <clears throat> to top it all off, at the beginning of the chapter on submission, Foster writes, and I quote, of all the spiritual disciplines, none has been more abused than the discipline of submission. Somehow, the human species has an extraordinary knack for taking the best teaching and turning it to the worst ends. Nothing can put people into bondage like religion. And nothing in religion has done more to manipulate and destroy people than a deficient teaching on submission. Therefore, we must work our way through this discipline with great care and discernment in order to ensure that we are the ministers of life, not death. Oh dear. But there was a hint how we can proceed. He says, we must work our way through. And so that's what I'm hoping to do with you this morning. Let's just take it as read that none of us are very good at submitting and serving. And we'll work through this topic together. I'm going to start by thinking about Jesus' teaching on submission. And then I'm going to briefly describe the situation into which Paul was writing to Philemon. And after that, we'll think about how his letter describes what Foster calls revolutionary subordination. And finally, we'll look very briefly at some examples of that today. So let's start with Jesus' teaching and example. Philippians 2, which we heard from Miles about earlier in the year, says, Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, humbling himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus gave up all his rights in order to come to earth, to live amongst us, and to save us. And he taught his disciples to follow the same path of radical service. Whoever wishes to be great among you must be your servant, he says. Whoever wishes to be first amongst you must be your slave. And he taught them over and over again. And when not one of them was willing to wash the other's feet before that last Passover meal, he took off his outer garment, wrapped himself in a towel, and got on with it. And then said to them, I have set you an example that you should also do as I have done to you. It's quite tough teaching, isn't it? But the apostles, after the cross, got the message. And their teaching in Acts and their letters are full of the same thing. Over and over again, they teach it. So, the particular situation in Philemon is this. Philemon is a rich man. He owns slaves. He also is a Christian. 
the church in Colossae meets in his house. He had a slave called Onesimus, which means useful or profitable, except that this slave wasn't. He ran away. It was perfectly acceptable for masters to kill slaves in those days. They ran away. Why hold on to useless and unprofitable property? Once a slave ran away, they would not usually choose to go back. In contrast, Paul is in prison. Somehow, Onesimus has crossed his path and heard the gospel and become a Christian. And now Paul's in prison. He's been gathered up into his supportive household and has proved himself to be helpful, loyal, and a real encouragement to Paul and all the church family there. But everyone knows he's a runaway slave. And his master's a Christian. What is Paul to do? Now, before we look at how Paul chooses to address this really tricky situation, I think we should take a moment to remember that Paul believes the gospel is for everyone. If we read the book of Acts, we see him preaching the gospel to Roman procurators and kings, to slaves and prisoners, and everyone in between. Paul is the epitome of inclusiveness. And in his letters, he teaches that all are equal in the kingdom of God, in Christ. Men, women, slaves, owners, Jews, Gentiles, black and white. But he also teaches what Foster and I have referred to as revolutionary subordination which is often misinterpreted. So let's look at it carefully. Every time Paul teaches about submission in Ephesians, Galatians, Colossians, etc., he honors those whom society considered subordinate by speaking to them first. People society wouldn't even have bothered talking to or teaching. Slaves, children, women, and he tells them to submit, not, this is really important, not because they are subordinate, but because they are equal in Christ. And they are to submit to Christ and to one another out of reverence for Christ. Only then does he talk to those whose society considers to be worthy. And he lays down the law. You must love, care for, not provoke, treat well, be fair to your supposed subordinates, because actually you are equal with them in Christ. This is why Christianity was considered so dangerous by Roman emperors. Men, women, Jews, Gentiles, slaves, their Roman masters, all mingling together, honoring one another, loving one another. That had the potential to undermine society. 
overthrow it even. Now, I could have picked many passages, but I picked Philemon because I think this shows Paul actually putting his teaching into practice, walking the difficult walk, picking his way through the complication of the social norms at the time to encourage two of his children to live a life of revolutionary subordination. He starts with the usual kinds of greetings. He tells Philemon how much he appreciates them. But we get a clue where he's going when he says he's praying for Philemon to put into action the generosity that comes from faith because of what we receive in Christ. You can always get a clue as to the theme of Paul's letters by how he prays for people. Then he gets straight to the point, Onesimus. Paul, despite loving Onesimus as a son and finding him really useful, has persuaded him to submit to Philemon and go back. We've already heard this was really dangerous, but Philemon is not just his master. He's now his brother in Christ. Onesimus has to demonstrate the reality of his faith, of his submission to Christ by submitting to Philemon. But there's some revolutionary submission to be done by Philemon as well. Now, Carol read this beautifully. I'm not sure you even need me to explain it. Paul says, I could command you. I'm your father in the faith. But it's noticeable in this letter, he doesn't start it with all the titles that he usually starts. He uses instead the language of partnership and family. He doesn't want to command Philemon. He wants Philemon to be convicted and out of love act radically. He asks Philemon to take Onesimus back and not punish him. If there's any punishment, he says, punish me. I think he's almost like Christ. He stands between Philemon and Onesimus and says, don't punish him, punish me. Love him. And we think that when he says, and I know you'll do even more than I ask, he's actually hinting at setting him free because he's now a brother in Christ. But he leaves that final decision to Philemon. So in a very real way, Paul is submitting to Philemon in leaving that decision to him. So what makes us think Philemon actually did all this? We just have one letter. Well, I think the very existence of this letter in the Bible indicates that he does, because why would you keep a letter from an apostle if you ignored everything he said in it? But as it happens, the Orthodox Church um, believes that Onesimus went on to be the Bishop of Ephesus, and in fact was martyred um, in the second half of the first century. We don't know it for sure. But often what happens with church tradition, really ancient traditions like this, is that the more people find out through archaeology, the more often it's proved right. And if it is true, if he took over from Timothy 
as Bishop of Ephesus, it would explain why this letter was considered important enough to be in the Bible. So, what about today? You may think, well, Mary, yes, this virtuous cycle of revolutionary subordination as demonstrated by Philemon and Paul and Onesimus is all very well. But I have to submit to people I don't like, who aren't Christians, and sometimes who even are Christians but don't behave like it. That's the hardest of all. How does it work now? In the book of Acts, which little bricks are studying this term, actually. In the book of Acts, we see the disciples and Paul submitting and not submitting to authorities and to other Christians. Sometimes we even see them disciplining other Christians. So how do they know when to submit and when not to? The answer lies that their submission is, first of all, to Jesus. If we cannot, in all honesty, submit to someone or something else out of reverence to Jesus, then we can't do it. So, Paul taught his churches to submit to the authorities, but when the authorities told him to stop preaching, <laughs> he was having none of it. You can't say that, he said, I submit to God. And Foster, in the book, suggests an order, which is debatable, and I am not going to have time to go into it, but I'll just tell you the order. Order of priority of submission for debate over lunch. First, he says, we submit to God. Then we submit to Scripture. Then family. Then neighbors. Then the believing community, that's the church. Then the broken and despised and then the world, and for the world, he specifically says issues of justice and the environment. This book was written in the late 70s. It's quite interesting that he picks up the environment then. But isn't it interesting how far down the list the believing community, the church was? I didn't have time to do this topic justice, that, but I will say there are limits to submission. And one of the ways it's really important we support each other is through helping one another pray through these issues, to help one another discern when we should submit and where we should serve. I'm going to give you one golden rule to take away. Commitment to church should never, ever, ever override your family or your own personal walk with God. Period. Now I said earlier that putting it at its service, at its simplest, service is the practical outworking of submission. As we let go of the burden of having to get our own way, we're free to see the needs of others and to seek to meet them. But I also said earlier that acts of service make me happy. <laughs> so when I do something helpful, am I helping other people? Am I serving them or am I serving myself? The motivation is key, I think. Self-righteous service, self service flows from a desire to be admired, praised, promoted. Service from submission flows from being able to put other 
people's needs before mine. Or, no, I think that's wrong. To put other people's needs before my desires. We're supposed to love our neighbors as ourselves, aren't we? So, okay, this is a silver rule, not a golden rule. If your service of other people means you're not looking after yourself properly, that's also wrong. So I started thinking about this sermon before the Queen died. And um, so you can imagine the word service is going around in my head and all the stuff about people waiting in line to see her lying in state and, and to line the route of the funeral processions. The word that kept jumping out at me, it probably jumped out at you as well, was service. Um, and I was thinking, is she, is she an example we can follow? Um, she's very rich and privileged. <laughs> is she really, um, can we relate to her? But I think what also came out was that her service came first and foremost from a submission to a higher authority, which is her king and ours, Jesus. And so I think the answer is yes, she is, despite her privilege, an example to us. But an example closer to home is the youth leaders that we heard from this morning. For them, service is coming together to work for the young people in our city, to give them a taste of the kingdom of heaven, and to teach and encourage them in their walk of faith. And church unity, as demonstrated so powerfully and beautifully by A2, requires submission to each other. It requires us to give up our desire to do things our way, to be in the right, and to do things the way other people want them. People from other churches, young people. And wonderfully, when we do this, it brings freedom and it releases God's kingdom on earth. There's a final point. Sorry, I want, I've cut some bits out. Um, there's a final point I want to reflect on this morning. As well as being able to submit to others and serve them, we have to be able to accept acts of service for us. And you'll remember that Peter struggled with this. As Jesus stood before him with the towel around his waist, Peter goes, no, 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 I don't want you to wash my feet. And Jesus says, if you don't submit to me doing this, you can't be part of me. I really sympathize with Peter. I struggle with this dreadfully. But sometimes I think my reason for not accepting acts of service is not false humility, it's false pride. I don't want to be beholden to someone else. I don't want to return the favor. Sometimes I think I could do it better myself. Sometimes I think I'm the only person who could do something. And sometimes simply I don't want to admit I need help. Please accept my apologies if you are one of the people that I have been ungracious and ungrateful to. So, I've covered a lot of ground. Time to sum up. We started by thinking about how true submission and service are hard but freeing. If we can give up that terribly heavy burden, 
we are released into serving others with joy. And maybe, just maybe, we'll discover God's way while we're serving. We thought about Jesus' teaching and the apostles who followed him. They taught and practiced a revolutionary subordination. It was an offense to the society they lived in. But it has a power to change lives that can transform society. It still does, and it still can. We've thought about the limits of submission. We've thought about how one guide is to ask ourselves which way is in accordance with God's will. And we've recognized that we have to allow people to serve us. Because if we can't accept little services from one another, how on earth are we going to accept the biggest service of all, which was Jesus giving up his life for us? He took the position of a slave. He died the most horrible way known at the time on a cross in order to set us free, to live life in all its fullness, according to God's ways and not our own. When we start to think about that, we start to understand that submission and service are born out of love. It's a free offering that leads to freedom. And we ask, Lord, give us servant hearts. We ask that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit will be with us all. Amen.